Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Hi, I'm Neil Anderson. Welcome to Return to Real. This is the Honest Health and Fitness Show, and my guest today is Drew Manning. This is a guy I've wanted to talk to for a very long time. Drew Manning, welcome to the show. Neil, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Thanks for coming. It's been a long time coming. I'm so glad we get a chance to talk. I know, man. Thank you. Thank you for your your patience with me. My schedule is kind of crazy sometimes. I was devastated last time (laughs) when we weren't able to get together. But more than that, we had all these people that were like, well, what about Drew Manning? Have you you talked to him yet? When are we going to talk to him? So I'm so (laughs) glad you're here. Thanks for taking the time. You're welcome, man. Can can we go way back? Mm-hmm. I know your story. I think everybody does. Like uh, everybody that listened to this show, anybody into health and fitness, they know your story. You were the guy that that started off in amazing shape. It looked like okay. Now that was just looking at the pictures. Started off in amazing. I'm talking six pack abs, built like a brick house. Um, and then you decided to gain some weight. You gained a lot of weight, seventy ish pounds, if I'm not mistaken 76 to be exact yeah (laughs) and then you lost it all and i think you look better now in fact i think you look great right now i think uh you look super lean you've been you're you're leaner than i've seen you yeah i've been following you for a long time can we go backwards can we talk about that i know you've probably talked this to death what's it been like 10 years yeah, almost 10 years. 2011 was when I started this journey. Uh, uh, I had this crazy idea to get fat on purpose. And the reason behind that was because, you know, you got to understand, I grew up in a family of 11 brothers and sisters. We all played sports. I played football. How many? 11. I heard that right. I, I yeah. thought it cut out. 11, <laughs> no, 11. brothers and sisters. Wow. Yeah, my parents, I don't know how, what they're thinking, but I don't know how you even know. I have two kids, and it's it's so hard. I can't imagine a lot. <laughs> where do you fit? Where, where are you? Number seven. Wow. Yeah, and so we all played sports, and I played football and wrestling from a very young age, so I never knew what it was like to be overweight because I was so active, and, and plus there wasn't a ton of food in the house with 11 kids. Um, so I became a trainer in 2009, and I, I just you know naturally was always in shape, and then here I was, someone who had never been overweight a day in their life, trying to help people who had been overweight pretty much every day of their life. And there was an obvious disconnect. I couldn't understand why it was so hard for them. I'm like, you guys, why do you struggle eating these, the, the food on the meal plan? It's not that hard. You just put the junk food down, go to the gym, and boom, you see results. It, it, it's easy for me. Why isn't it easy for you? <laughs> it's math. It just yeah. adds up. Just do this and this, and you got it. Yeah. And uh, I had one of them who was a, a brother-in-law at the time told me, you know, Drew, you don't understand what it's like. You don't, for you, it's been easy your whole life. And for me, it's been hard my whole life. You just don't understand. 
And I kind of took that to heart. I was like, you know what? You're, you're right. I don't understand. I don't have the understanding of why it's hard for you. And so I was thinking of ideas and boom, this idea of getting fat on purpose popped up in my head. And it felt like it was one of those moments where it was a calling. Like I felt like I was called in a weird way to do this, this crazy experiment. And so I kind of planned it out and, and just ran with it back in 2011, put on 75 pounds in six months, uh, a, a typical American diet and stopped working out. And it was so 75 pounds of pure fat. It wasn't like a bodybuilding mass gaining program where I was lifting heavy. It was just pure fat. And then I lost it again in the next six months. Yeah, that was, uh, I was amazed when I saw that on TV because it, so you had the idea to document that. I did. And you know, on a, you want to know a funny story? And I know you're with KSL, right? Yeah. So the first <laughs> media appearance I had was on KSL. Do you remember the show, The Browsers? Yes. Back in the day. So I was the first. J-Mac and Amy something, right? Yeah. That was yeah. the first show I went on. And what's funny is they, I on my website, uh, my old website, I had a picture of me shirtless, right? My first fit photo. Their servers blocked it because it was... It was uh, it, it, you know, it wasn't appropriate, I guess, because my show was shirtless, and so they had to get special permission to see the website. And then it was just funny. It was a fun little episode, just a fun little KSL story. <laughs> I thought it was. I really did think it was going to be. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? A gimmick. I thought it yeah. was going to be a gimmick because everything in yours and my industry is is very gimmicky in general. The stuff that most people have heard of um, is is generally a scam and or a gimmick. And I loved yours because I, I didn't give it much heart. I, I'll be honest. At first, when I, when I saw it, I was like, oh, here's another gimmick. But <laughs> yours had a soul, man. And that's one of the things I've admired about you for a distance for a long time is it does have a soul. I can feel you really have like this want, this need, this genuine desire, in my opinion, to help folk. Yeah, I appreciate that. And I think if you saw my journey back in 2011, you saw how humbled I was. You saw how how wrong I admitted I was in my approach to helping people. I used to think it was so easy. And then here I was getting overweight for the first time. You saw how humbled uh, that process was. Because here's the thing. You're, when you grow up your entire life in shape, your identity is based on your body. And my body was Drew the fit guy. And that's who I was. That's who I became. And so once I became overweight, I kind of freaked out. I wanted to tell strangers in the streets like, hey, guys, this isn't really what I look like. This is just an experiment. Go to this website. Here's my before picture. This is me. This is the real me. I wanted to tell strangers this because it affected me so much. And and you saw, you know, it, it made me more relatable as a trainer because what happens is there's a disconnect between people, your average person, and then they see these fit shredded trainers on TV and it doesn't seem relatable to your average person. And so when they saw me put on that weight, it just made me more relatable at the end of the day. And I think that's why people gravitated towards it because it was real. It wasn't a gimmick. It was very humbling. I wondered that when um, I put it out to some of the folks that follow my stuff, it's, it's not very many, but they, they were asking one of the questions that Amy was asking. She was like a friend of mine. She was like, ask Drew if he was scared as he started to gain the weight. Was there ever a time when he thought, uh oh, I've gone too far. This isn't going to come off. I'm stuck now. Yes. And it was when I went, when, went on the Dr. Oz show. Um, I was towards the end of my journey, 70 plus pounds overweight. Dr. Oz showed me all these, um, uh, well, showed me all these tests of just how unhealthy I was becoming. Even though I didn't feel like I was dying, I didn't feel like I was obese. I, I felt overweight, but it, he showed me how scary it was. And at that moment, I'm like, 
what if I'm stuck in this? What if I get stuck? What if this doesn't work out? Like all these people are following me. I'm on all these TV shows. What if I can't lose the weight? Like what if I get stuck there? And that fear really did play a role a little bit, but I just, you know, I knew that I wasn't, I, I knew I had to trust in the process. So yes, I was scared because that's the thing is when your identity is based on your body being in shape and being overweight was very, very uncomfortable, but it gave me a new perspective and it, it, it taught me empathy and a better respect for those that struggle. So that's why I have no regrets doing it. Go back to the, how you felt like, I've been overweight on and off. And let's not say overweight. I've been very blessed in that one regard, but I have been heavier than, than I am now. And, and I've done that off and on and off and on. What were the big things that you did feel? Was it just a physical thing? Did you, did you feel sluggish? Can you describe what it is that you were feeling back in those days? I know this has been a long time ago and I'm sorry to bring it up. I know, but this is, this is, interesting you get a guy like me gets to ask a guy like you questions this is like i'm all ears what, <laughs> it feel like? what were the physical what were the physical aspects of this what was the thing that made you go how yeah the there, there was a physical component and a emotional component the physical component obviously being overweight i've never really experienced what it's like to have to hold my breath to bend over and tie my shoes <laughs> like going down clipping my twin nails or tying my shoes like all that visceral fat around my organs made it really difficult to breathe. And so going, bending over and clipping my toenails or putting my shoes on, I've never really had to hold my breath before. And that's something I took for granted. Walking up the stairs, you know, being out of breath, I started snoring at night, which affected my sleep, which affected my energy levels during the day, my mood, my personality. Um, On the emotional side, that's where it was really, really humbling. Because physically, I knew I was going to get big and fat and overweight emotionally, I wasn't prepared for how this journey was going to affect me. So emotionally, like I said, going out in public was really hard for me. Um, but on, on the other end, I remember t- uh, my two-year-old daughter at the time, she one day wanted me to play with her. And I came home from work. I was exhausted already just from this lifestyle that I was living. And I played with her for a minute or two, chasing her around the house. And I was out of breath. Um, chafing became an issue. And I remember having to take a break on the couch. And she didn't understand why I needed to take a break. She, you know, her dad, she wanted me to play with her. So she's trying to pull me off the couch. And I'm like, you know, hey, daddy needs a break. I can't, I can't play. And she didn't understand. So she started crying. And I felt so bad. My heart was breaking because here I was, someone who was doing this on purpose, not being able to play with my own kid. And it made me realize how, how many people out there, you know, can't play with their kids or their grandkids, not so much because of their weight, but because of their health and how much that must hurt inside not to be able to play with your own kid because you're so unhealthy. And uh, that's where I started to realize this journey was becoming way more of a mental and emotional journey. And that's why I was truly humbled. And that's why my perspective changed. And that's why I learned empathy uh, for those that struggle. And um, I'm glad I, I went through that. I loved it. Last last week, I spoke with Casey Scott. He's the guy that was like, you got to go get Drew. Oh, I love Casey. Yeah. <laughs> He's yeah awesome. He loves you back. He uh, <laughs> He had a lot of really nice things to say about you. He was... He was explaining some things. I've always thought that there were mental, emotional, and behavioral issues that went far outside of the math. Because you and I, as trainers, we'll look at this as this is a numbers game. <laughs> yeah. Right? You take in fewer calories than your body needs. You go expand a few more than your body needs, um, and you lose weight. So Casey's all, here's the deal. He said, you need to understand that if you've been – if you're 35 pounds up from what you think is your ideal and have been for a length of time, understand that this is not an exercise 
and or diet issue. There are behavioral components to this that you'll need to address. And I loved him for that because I've always thought that there were links between addiction and poor health. And I love that you're saying that. It feels right, right? That that broke my heart too, thinking about your daughter and my daughter. I have a daughter <laughs> thinking about that you couldn't play with them. And you're tired anyway. I can't imagine being 70 pounds up, throwing, strapping a 70-pound weight to my back <laughs> and then trying to go play with my daughter who I'm already too tired to go play. I get that. <laughs> I get that. Yeah, you know, that's so true. That's the biggest lesson I took away from this whole thing is how much of transformation is mental and emotional versus before you used to think it's so physical, reduced calories, increased activity, you know, workout, diet, you'll lose the weight, boom, it's not that hard until I went through this journey. And this is why so many people struggle with living a healthy lifestyle consistently is because it's tied to emotional trauma or challenges we've had sometimes since childhood that we cope with those uh, emotions with food or sometimes it's other substances like drugs and alcohol. Food can be just as dangerous and it becomes this um, survival technique that we create um, you know, at a young age. And then it's hard to break that habit because that's at, at, at one point kind of saved us it, right. It's kind of made us feel comfortable, uh, something we can control. And like I said, people gravitate towards different substances. And so I don't judge people with, if they have addiction with food, sex, drugs or alcohol. We all numb ourselves or distract ourselves with substances like that. And it's just becoming uh, self-aware of why those things are happening. So that's the thing that people need to realize is, OK, how do you overcome emotional challenges? you got to take a step back and become the observer of your thoughts rather than becoming your thoughts. Because so many times we're an autopilot. We're not even aware we're, just, we're numbing our, our pain with food or drugs or alcohol until we take a step back and realize, OK, when I'm triggered, when I'm triggered by this, you know, whatever the triggers are in your life, these emotions happen and then I gravitate towards food, right? The food's right there in my pantry. I go and grab it. It's so convenient. And I, I, I've uh, fallen into that trap, that vicious cycle. How do I break that? You raise your level of self-awareness. So you're at least aware of what's happening. And then you can thoughtfully respond in that situation in the moment instead of being reactionary. And when you're reactionary, you don't even think about it until later on. You're like, oh man, I just ate a whole you know, sleeve of Oreos. <laughs> what, what am I doing? You, know, you didn't even think about it until it's too late. So that raising that level of self-awareness is key, whether you're an addict to alcohol, drugs, or, or food, it doesn't matter. It's the same process of healing. Drew, how true is that, especially right now for all of us? If, there's, if we can't all identify with that right now, we're in, I guess this is my fourth week of social distancing. Yeah. <laughs> I've been so amazed. I've been so blown away by how often I walk to the pantry. Yeah. And let's be honest, that's about the most exercise I'm getting. I'm going and doing my workouts, okay? I'm still doing – I followed you this morning, by the way, with their stretching. Good job on that stuff. It was so Awesome, cool. man. <laughs> um, yeah, by the way, if, if folks want to check out your stuff, fitfattofit.com, the twos are twos, number two. Yeah, fit, fit to, to fat, fat to fit. fit. Numeral two. Um, go check his stuff out. You do, you do a ton of that stuff. Yeah, especially during these times, I'm trying to put out as much content as possible because we're all stuck at home and it's a level playing field, right? I don't care if you're a celebrity, politician, like we're all stuck at home, right? So let's take the most and make the most of this time to connect, right? Through Zoom yeah. or through Facebook Lives. And yeah, I try and put out a lot of free content for people to do at-home workouts or yoga, whatever it is, or some easy-to-make recipes. But yeah, during these times, it's really hard because our stress is high from this unusual, scary situation that we're in and economic, you know, the economic um, uh, issue as well. Like, that's really scary as well because a lot of people are out of jobs. So 
it's easy to cope and distract ourselves with food or other substances during these times. And, you know, it's just being aware of, okay, I'm walking towards the pantry because, you know, I'm stressed out and it's super easy and convenient. And it's just being aware of those, of those moments and finding an accountability partner and support system during those times to say, Hey, you know, is anyone else going through this? Is anyone else struggling with this? Like, how do we get through this together? So I think that's really important. Yeah. I've found that it's, I'm not hungry. I'm not hungry. I'm coping. Like you were saying that, that resonated with me so hard. I'm coping. I'm, I'm just getting up to go medicate somehow. Yeah. I'm not happy. I am happy. I'm happy enough, but I'm, I'm insecure. I don't feel right. I feel like the world's kind of up on edge. There's literally this looming danger out there of death. Yeah. And I understand that, that that may not apply to me, but I also understand that it very well may. So yeah. there's that. And then I got to worry about the economy. I got to worry about my job. I worry about my people, my friends. They have that looming disaster of death over them. This, these are unsure times. It's been tough. I can't believe me as a, as a trainer, a guy that does take pretty good care of himself, better than not. I'm struggling. <laughs> I can identify Thanks. with this for the first time in my life on a level that doesn't feel like I have all the way can, all the control of. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that because I totally underestimated how hard this would be, how stressful this, these times would be, um, especially with having kids at home from school and trying to balance all that, being a parent, running a business, being you know a teacher. Uh, it, it is hard. And I have all the tools that I know what to do to help me, you know, journaling, meditating, going for a walk outside, trying to connect with yeah, people. Don't, don't go there yet. Hold on. <laughs> Okay, Hold we'll on. push back. That's segment two. I want to go into the answers. I want to go okay. into the solutions. I want to talk. Now we've we've covered the history. Fitfit.com has all of the information there. I'm sure you've seen Drew. Like, dude, you've been everywhere. So here's what I want to get into in segment two. One, solutions. Two, I want to find out a little about you and how you built this. So let's leave the solutions for the very end. That'll be a teaser that was. I want to find out how you did this. Like, how did you know to document this thing? Those are the questions that I'm getting when I'm telling people that, that I get to interview you, they know your story, but they're like, how the hell did this guy get a book deal? How did this guy get on all those shows? Like, what was the mindset behind that? How did you manufacture that or did it just happen? Do you mind sharing some of that with us? Yeah, for sure. Okay, segment number two. Folks, you're listening to Return to Real. I'm your host, Neil Anderson, the honest health and fitness guy. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Okay, welcome back. My name is Neil Anderson. You're listening to the Return to Real show right here on KSL, the Honest Health and Fitness Place. I've got Drew Manning, and I can't believe I got him. What an honor. What an honor to talk to you. I've been dying to talk to you. I've been in the business 26 years, and when you came onto the scene, I was like, wow, 
There haven't been. Now, by then, I was 15 years into the industry. And by then, I was like, ah. But when you came out, I was like, wow, this guy's doing it right. This guy's helping folk. Um, can you take us back? Will you talk to us a little bit about your process? Because you decided to gain a bunch of weight. You decided then to lose that weight. I'd like to find out how. But we'll, we'll leave that for the end. And some of your solutions to some of this our social distancing problems. Yeah. But you also had the thought to document this. Did that come first? Did that come second? Can you, can you describe this process? Yeah. So the process of creating Fit to Fit to Fit was uh, just very organic because this is something that no one's ever really done before unless uh, you're a movie star. I think like Robert De Niro and, and some other movie stars have done this, but no one's ever done this like on a YouTube channel, a website and social media. Back in 2011, social media wasn't as big as it is today, for sure. So I knew that I had to do something online. So I knew I had to create a website and a YouTube channel. Those were the two things that I had to learn how to do. And so I seeked help from friends. Who taught you that? Like, did you just know organically? Was that a thing that came to your head? Or did somebody go like, Drew, you got to do something? I had a neighbor who had a YouTube channel. And so he, he had a camera and he filmed my first video. Um, creating a website, I think I just, uh, you know, searched around and ended up with squarespace.com. Uh, it was like a 200 bucks for a template of a website. I'll just build it myself because I, I didn't have a large budget for this. Right. And I think that's what people loved about it is because it wasn't produced, like professionally produced. It was, you know, my ex-wife at the time filming me with her, her phone and us uploading the videos to YouTube and me trying to edit them. And it was organic. I think that's what people were able to relate to it so much. And so, how did Fit to Fit to Fit get big? How did it become this thing? A lot of people give me more credit than than I deserve because a lot of it was luck. Um, I didn't have a marketing strategy. I didn't. I don't have a marketing background. Um, I, I went into finance right out of college, and so I had you know I had a business degree. Um, I didn't have any media connections. Like I didn't know Jay Leno. I didn't know Dr. Oz. I didn't know how to get on their shows or write a book. So a lot of this happened organically. So I don't, I don't want people to think like I'm some, some genius that, and I think that the thing that, that resonated with people is they could tell I wasn't out there to just get on all these shows, right? They, they, they could tell I wasn't this, this, I, I didn't have this production team and this PR team helping me out. It was just me and my ex-wife at the time, just doing our best posting on social media. So really a lot of it was luck to be honest with you. But I think the thing that people resonated with was how organic it was. Like we were this, this, this happy family and um, you know, I was a real guy and I was doing this to help people. I think people genuinely felt that when they saw my, my, uh, my videos on YouTube. I felt that I saw that. Mm-hmm. That was one of the things I think that I loved the most about it. Like Thank I said, you. I was prepared for the gimmick, but <laughs> I felt that I felt you're genuine. Um, I, I could tell you were trying to help. And I love Thank that. You. I love that about you. I still do. I, I watch you a lot. It sounds like I'm a stalker, but I do. I no, watch. It's all good. <laughs> I like your stuff. I think that you do good stuff on fit2fit.com. And so I'm a fan. I, I think you. it's great. So here you are. This stuff's catching on viral. When did you know at very first? When was the first time you knew I got something? It was when my story got published on yahoo.com. So, you know, I was doing some interviews like KSL, the browser, some local interviews, Fox 13, and then some fitness bloggers started writing about me on their blogs. And that got me some traction. And one of them struck a chord with Yahoo and Yahoo.com was like, hey, we want to post this blog on our front page of Yahoo.com. And man, when that happened, my website crashed every TV show, you know, called asking me to come on. And the first one that I got that I booked with was Jay Leno. 
And so that was, I was like, what? <laughs> like Jay Leno wants me on a show. This is crazy. And then Dr. Oz and good morning America. And so I was like, wow, this is becoming real. And, um, yeah, like I said, I wasn't really prepared for it. I, my, I had one guy running my website for me and, um, you know, we got it up and running again and did the whole media spree, uh, going on, on tour a little bit. And then, then I had you to put my money manager for something like that. How does that I work? Didn't, I didn't have a manager. The thing that happened is once I went on Jay Leno and, and the other TV shows, a book deal happened when the book, when I signed the contract for the book deal, I did get assigned a publicist. And um, so I had to write the book first, finish the book. And then when I lost the weight, luckily I lost it. <laughs> it was a lot harder than people think, by the way. Uh, once I lost the weight, then I went on another media tour uh, to promote the book and promote that I had lost the weight and how I did it and, and all that. And so she helped me through that process of reaching out to new TV shows. So on the second round of media, I went on a bunch of other TV shows and a bunch of other radio interviews across the world. Um, so yeah, that, that part helped. But then from there, you know, after the book, after like, you know, six months of the book being out, we kind of, I didn't need her anymore. They didn't really provide services after that point. So now you're heavy and you got a plan. You're like, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to lose this weight. And I, I really cued in a minute ago on how you were like, it was harder than it sounded. <laughs> a, what was the plan to do it? B, how did that plan go? And C, if you had to do it over again, what would you change? That's a good question. So, um, you know, I, I did have to go cold turkey. The plan was for six months, the next six months, um, I was going to skip exercise for the first 30 days. I was going to show people the power of nutrition. So I just changed my diet. I went from eating about 5,000 calories of cinnamon toast crunch, hot pockets, mac and cheese, mm. top ramen, Mountain Dew, like all the good stuff <laughs> that we eat here in America to 2000 calories of real whole food. That's kind of my approach back then. Um, and uh, the, one of the biggest lessons I learned transitioning to eating real food was how powerful the emotional connection to food really is. Because here I was someone who had never really struggled with that thinking, Oh, people just lack willpower. Like guys, just willpower your way to a new healthy lifestyle. It's not that hard. Put down the junk food. And man, when those, when I went, back to eating healthy again, those first two weeks were absolute hell. I've never experienced withdrawal symptoms like I did when I got off of the junk food. The high that I received from eating those foods was so intense that when I went back to eating real food, I had headaches. I was grumpy. I was moody. I was starving all the time. The food did not taste nearly as good as I remember. And I felt miserable. I really did. I've never experienced withdrawal symptoms like that, but it really opened up my eyes to just what my clients have been telling me when I give them a meal plan and expect them to be perfect with it. I didn't realize how much their body would fight back against them. Even though they have the will to eat healthy, I didn't realize the emotional connection to food and how powerful that was. So me, it took me going through those first two weeks of hell to have my eyes open and be like, oh my gosh, it clicked for me. This is what my clients have been telling me, right? How'd you do so it? That was How'd really powerful. Um, by connecting with people on social media, by being real about my message. So I would talk about how bad it sucked. I didn't sugarcoat it at all. I was so surprised at how hard it was. And I think that helped me get through it because I knew, here's the thing. When I lost the weight, I invited the whole world to join me on that journey. So I knew people out there were doing my meal plans and my workouts because I put it out there for people to follow along for free. So I, it, it kept me accountable knowing that there were strangers out there you know, reaching out to me on social media saying, Drew, I'm doing the workouts with you. We got this. Let's do this. And so when those moments came up where I wanted the Cinnamon Toast Crunch or the Mountain Dew, 
I knew I couldn't because there was people out there doing this with me and I couldn't let them down. So that's what's really powerful when you are trying to make a big change in your life. You got to find a support team. You got to find people out there that are willing to go through that journey with you because if you're doing it by yourself and you think you're just going to willpower your way through it, I promise you for 90% of people out there, willpower does not work. 99 um, That's my experience. That's probably the statistic. (laughs) If you don't have a community to share this with, I think you're more likely to fail. I think I think there's a unicorn or two in the world that can do this alone, completely alone. The rest of us need each other. Humans, I guess, at our core, are social beings. We need each other. We the only way we made it off the savannah was with each other's help. We 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 couldn't have done it otherwise. And we need each other in every aspect. I love that you said that. That's, yeah. that's absolutely true. And wouldn't that be a key now with what yeah. we're all going through right now? Oh, we're man. all social isolated, <laughs> socially isolated and distancing from each other. I guess that would be a, a key right now. 100%. And that's why I love the te- technology we have like Zoom and Facebook Lives and Instagram Lives because I feel people are connecting more than ever than they normally do because we crave that, that social connection that we normally have and now we don't. So the only option we have is to connect through technology. And even though we're isolated, we can still connect with people. You know, I find myself calling my family way more than I ever did. I find myself, you know, making more videos and answer, answering people's questions on social media. And I think a lot of celebrities are doing that too, because like I said, this puts all of us on a level playing field. And that's what I love seeing about the human spirit of that. Yeah. There's a lot of negativity and bad things going on during these times, but there's so much positivity as well of us coming together during these times to help each other out. Hell yeah. I love <laughs> your thoughts on that. That's number one for me. I love that each other. Each yeah. other is how we do this. Number two, you do a very specific type of diet nutrition program now, the keto diet, yeah. right? You've written a book. It's called Complete Keto, right? Um, yeah. Tell me a little about that. If I wanted to start doing some keto, we've heard a lot about keto and a lot of people are talking about it, but I've found that not everybody is well informed about it, despite knowing what it is, what they think it is anyway. What is keto and, and how does a person get involved in it? And what are the steps? Yeah, you asked me what I would do differently uh, to lose the weight. I I would do keto. If I had known about keto back in 2011, 2012, I would have done it, but I didn't know about it until about four and a half years ago where I started doing some experiments with it. So the keto diet, for those listening on a very basic level, is your body can enter into this metabolic state where you become a fat burner instead of a sugar burner. So most of us that eat carbohydrates, carbohydrates get turned into glucose, which is the sugar, and that glucose is an energy form for our brain muscles and organs to function but what people don't know is we can run off two different types of fuel glucose right which is what most of us probably grew up on here in america (laughs) carbohydrates because they taste good they're convenient and you know they they make us feel good the other one is is ketosis or ketones right Um, how to get into a state of ketosis there's two ways one is if every human on the planet stopped eating we would all be in a state of ketosis within a day or two. Why? Because we all have this backup system. We can live a long period of time without food. It's just you and I don't really experience that unless we force ourselves to fast because we don't have to go hunt for our food, right? We can go to the grocery store or Uber Eats comes to our door. You know, we got food on demand. So we've never really known what it's like to go without. So you probably haven't experienced a state of ketosis unless you forced yourself to fast, which I remember growing up fasting and I hated it. I'm like, this sucks. Why would I do this? Um, But that's one way to get into ketosis. Or you can eat a keto diet, which is high fat, moderate protein, low carb. And what happens is it forces your body to produce ketones instead of glucose. And now your body's burning fat as energy instead of sugar as energy. 
That is uh, so interesting that you're talking about this. I've been reading, I've been reading a lot of history this year. Mm-hmm. One of the books that I read was a Lewis and Clark book. It was about their journey across the plains to get to, or all the way across the West part of the United States. To, to, they were looking for the Missouri um, passage. Anyway, you, everybody knows that. What they don't know is that these guys ate only meat and fat. They wow. prized the fat. Fat was the number one thing. Have, have you read that book? The Oh, I can't remember. The I name. have not. No, I haven't, but it sounds interesting. I definitely have to look it up. Nine pounds. They would. They were hunting on the plains. They would eat nine pounds of meat per person per day. Thirty something wow. people. <laughs> nine pounds of meat per person per day, and that's all they ate. As a matter of fact, when they got over the hill, they got to um, an Indian tribe over there that started feeding them roots and berries, and they all got sick for weeks at a time. Wow. The Nez Pierce. It was the Nez Pierce that would give them roots and berries, and they all got sick. And they claim that they did so much better on the meat and the fat alone. They loved all of the fatty cuts. So the buffalo hump, the beaver tail, the back of the elk eye, they loved all of this stuff. Yeah, it was uh, called Undaunted Courage by Stephen Ambrose. Um, I love that. I'll have to check it out. And that's the thing is people don't realize that we have this backup system that is natural and we can tap into. But the problem is we're so accustomed to you know, cereal for breakfast, uh, sandwich for lunch and pasta for dinner with a side of rolls and, and bread on the side. <laughs> like we, that's what we've grown up with. So it's hard to change that, but you can, and you feel amazing because what will happen is your mental clarity will be through the roof. The way your mind feels on keto versus eating carbohydrates is like night and day. I love the way. And so I don't have to eat every two or three hours because glucose, you'll burn through that very fast ketones, you can go a long period of time. So I've done up to a seven-day fast before. I've done a four-day fast, a three-day fast. But my, my go-to is, um, you know, I'll eat for eight hours during the day. I'll eat lunch and dinner, and that's it. Skip breakfast, and I feel amazing. I'm able to maintain my muscle mass. My digestion is way better because I don't have to digest food from sun up to sundown. And, um, yeah, I'm not a slave to food anymore either. Wow. You wouldn't think everybody that I used to tell about that. I remember when Ashley <laughs> yeah. in the 90s, they were like, listen, this isn't just not good. This is bad. Yeah. You do this diet, you'll die. <laughs> yeah. It couldn't be worse for your kidneys. It couldn't be worse for your mind. It couldn't be worse for you. You're all, you don't get any fiber. This is going to kill you. But it's starting to emerge, especially when you look at it in contrast with history. Yeah. Um, the Comanche, for example, the Comanche wouldn't eat anything but meat. As a matter of fact, when the U.S. government started bringing them corn and and, uh, and wheat and such, they took it as it was offensive to them that they had yeah. to eat this terrible food. The, <laughs> I read this um, this Genghis Khan book re- recently that was talking about how when they went and invaded the Chinese, that they were mocking the Chinese for their weakness and said that they had terrible teeth. And the reason that they had terrible teeth and were such weak humans was because they ate rice, they ate carbohydrates, and they yeah. prided themselves in eating only meat, which is really strange from a trainer's point of view because I'm a kind of a classically trained trained trainer, mm-hmm. and we were taught carbohydrates is the way that yeah. meat should be used sparingly. 10 to 15% of your diet is what I was taught. Yeah. I think here's the, here's the biggest thing, that, the, the biggest takeaway from all of this is that all of these approaches are different tools in our tool belt, right? So yes, keto is a tool that can benefit a lot of people. Carnivore, what you're talking about specifically meat can work for a lot of people. But I, what I, what I recommend, I think we're omnivores for the most part, right? We live off of both meat and plants. I don't think we're supposed to go one way or the other for the long term. but you can do that and see a huge benefits. I just had a doctor on my podcast. He wrote the carnivore code 
and his whole approach is to eating just meat, right? Not just, um, not just the muscle uh, meat of the animal, but the everything, the eyes, the, the organ meats, those are the most nutrient dense foods in the world. Um, a lot of us don't eat those meats cause we just, you know, steak and, <laughs> you know, bacon. Um, but yeah, I think it can be healthy if you do it right. Um, but it's a tool, right? And I think it's important for us to experiment with all types of tools to find out what works best for us. I like that. So the keto diet isn't only meat. It's not the carnivore diet. This yeah, is, no, no is- it's, it's high fat, moderate protein, low carb. So most of your calories, 70% or so come from fat, 25% from protein, 5% or less from carbohydrates. So a lot of people think it's just meat and cheese, like the Atkins approach, but it's, it's totally different. If you do it the right way, you're going to feel amazing. There's so many things you need to do before just jumping in because people, what happens, they'll, they'll hear about keto and they'll be like, oh, I'll eat butter, bacon, and cheese all day long and lose weight magically. It doesn't happen that way. If you don't research it first and understand how, you know, for example, the keto flu can really happen and that will derail a lot of people because they don't understand the importance of sodium, potassium, magnesium when you go keto because your body's retaining less water without the carbohydrates. And so you need to replenish those electrolytes, those minerals uh, on a daily basis so that you don't experience the keto flu. Um, and then, but once you get through that, the first two weeks or so, then you start to adjust and adapt because your body's so glucose adapted because it, it, that's what you've been feeding it for the past 30, 40 years. But now that you're switching over to a different fuel source, it's going to take a couple of weeks, two to four weeks to become really adapted to that uh, new fuel source. And then you start to feel optimal. Yeah. And folks will go into something new like that and they'll start feeling kind of crummy. They won't feel as good. They're not getting their highs that they're used to feeling. And a lot of them will think immediately, this isn't good for me. And the reason it's not is because I don't feel good right now. Anything that yeah. doesn't feel good, my doctor says, don't do it. So I shouldn't. Well, yeah, that's the other part is like doctors, <laughs> doctors will tell you, you know, what's good, what's bad, but they don't know a ton about nutrition, not, not knocking on any doctors out sure, there, but sure. let's be honest, they, you know, four weeks of learning about a little bit about nutrition is not, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't consider them nutritional experts, but you know, that's the biggest thing is don't just wait for your doctor to tell you what's good or bad for you, you know, do some experimenting on yourself, become your own self-experimentation, right? Go get some blood work done. Uh, maybe some other health markers and maybe experiment. Maybe for you, a plant-based approach is what you need right now for this period of time. But what I've learned is that people sometimes get stuck into diets as they, you know, sometimes they look at it as a religion sometimes where, oh man, keto is my thing. It saved my life. It changed my life. Therefore I'm on team keto or religion keto. And like, that's my religion. All the, all the other diets out there are bad and evil but mine is right. So I think that's what happens to a lot of people in this diet world is they get stuck with it because they feel like this is what is going to work for me forever. But what works for you yesterday might not work for you six months from now. So you got to be open to changing things up as you evolve, as you upgrade and as you adapt to new lifestyles and, and maybe your goals are different, right? So that's what I, I, I'm, I'm trying to empower people to become their own self-experimentation because at the end of the day, that's the most important tool rather than me telling you how to eat or your doctor telling you how to eat or a magazine telling you how to eat. You got to, you got to find out for yourself. And does it explain to me in complete keto, your book, does it, does it give me some ideas on how to get going on this? Something like that? Absolutely. It's, it's, it's a very basic level for starters with keto, but also it talks a lot about mindset. So that's why it's called complete keto. It takes the lessons I learned from fit to fit to fit on the mental and emotional side to help people live it as a lifestyle change. And then it, it, it talks about how to do keto the right way. Um, all the recipes are dairy free and nut free. Um, there's a 30 day program in there with meal plans and workouts and, you know, over 75 recipes that have a vegan section. If people want to do a, a keto version of ve- uh, veganism, 
or vegetarian as well. Uh, there's a plant-based approach to keto as well. So I give people a lot of options in the book. But the biggest thing is mindset, you guys, because the problem is, this is from my perspective, a lot of people's perception of success and health and fitness is, is all about physical transformation. It's all about weight loss. It's all about getting skinny, getting the muscles. And we think if we get that, then we're successful. And if we don't, we're a failure. When in reality, complete transformation, which is physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, that's where you'll be fulfilled. Because a lot of people are seeking this this body that they think will bring them happiness, just like they're seeking money that they think will bring them happiness. But even if they get that money or that body, they'll realize that that's not the thing missing in their life. There's still something missing that's, um, that it comes from the mental, emotional, spiritual transformation. So I want people to, to have a complete transformation instead of just a physical transformation. Cause I promise you, if you're seeking for the physical transformation you think is going to make you happy, I promise you it's, it's short lived and it's not going to bring you fulfilling, you know, lasting happiness in your life. You got to be, you know, you got to be balanced with the mental, the emotional, spiritual, as well as the physical. I think that is the greatest advice, especially right now. Thank you for that. Yeah. Love it. And I can find those on fit2fat2fit.com. Yep. Fit2fat2fit.com. All my programs, my books, um, my social media is at fit2fat2fit as well. So I'll try and keep you entertained. I've been doing a lot of TikTok videos now. My daughters are <laughs> teaching me about that. <laughs> I have resisted up until now. Maybe I'll have to go there, but I will follow your lead on that, my friend. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your knowledge with all my of us. Pleasure. We, uh, I, I've, I've really enjoyed this little bit that I've got to spend with you. It was very nice to meet you. I wish we could have done it face to face, but will you come back and talk to us another time? I would love to. Yeah. Once, once the quarantine's over, we can get out and be social again. I'd love to come in and uh, we'll do this in person. Drew Manning. Thank you so much. Fit fat fit.com, the complete keto book. Folks, you've been listening to return to real, the honest health and fitness program. I'm Neil Anderson on KSL. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.